Welcome to this week's edition of Flashback Friday, your opportunity to get some good review by listening to episodes from the past that Jason has handpicked to help you today in the present and propel you into the future. Enjoy. Welcome to the Holistic Survival Show with Jason Hartman. The economic storm brewing around the world is set to spill into all aspects of our lives. Are you prepared? Where are you going to turn for the critical life skills necessary to survive and prosper? The Holistic Survival Show is your family's insurance for a better life. Jason will teach you to think independently, to understand threats, and how to create the ultimate action plan. Sudden change or worst case scenario, you'll be ready. Welcome to Holistic Survival, your key resource for protecting the people, places, and profits you care about in uncertain times. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Jason Hartman. Welcome to the Holistic Survival Show. This is your host, Jason Hartman, where we talk about protecting the people, places, and profits you care about in these uncertain times. We have a great interview for you today, and we will be back with that in less than 60 seconds on the Holistic Survival Show. And by the way, be sure to visit our website at holisticsurvival.com. You can subscribe to our blog, which is totally free, has loads of great information, and there's just a lot of good content for you on the site. So make sure you take advantage of that at holisticsurvival.com. We'll be right back. It's my pleasure to welcome Philip K. Howard to the show. He is a prominent attorney and commentator. He's founder and chair of Common Good and author of the classic The Death of Common Sense. And and his newest book is entitled The Rule of Nobody, Saving America from Dead Laws and Broken Government. What a timely subject. So, Philip, welcome. How are you? Nice to be with you. Well, it's good to have you. And just to give our listeners a, a sense of geography, where are you located? Uh, I live in New York City. Okay, well, there is a place with broken government, just like my home state of California. <laughs> yes. And anyway, uh, so so tell us a little bit about about the organization, and and let's dive into the books, and we can uh, provide any solutions today. Uh, well, Common Good, um, I started about a dozen years ago, and it um, is basically dedicated to creating new government structures that allow people to take responsibility and to act on their best judgment. So we had a joint venture with the Teachers Union and the New York Board of Ed to redesign the system of discipline so that teachers could maintain order in the classroom. We had a project with um, the Harvard School of Public Health to redesign the medical malpractice system so that doctors could actually trust courts to distinguish between good care and bad care and pretty much everybody came out for it. Uh, Obama was for it. Uh, Romney was for it. All the debt reduction commissions. It hasn't happened because the trial lawyers have stopped it so far. But it will happen sooner or later because it's just crazy to waste one or two hundred billion dollars a year in unnecessary tests and procedures because doctors justifiably don't trust the system of justice. So those are two examples of. So, so what you what you're saying there, uh, just on the on the medical issue, is you're saying doctors are over caring because they're concerned about litigation. Is that is that yes the point? Yeah, yes so for example, because when when the tragic occurrence of a baby born with cerebral palsy happens, there is almost always a lawsuit for ten or twenty million dollars. 
but almost but nothing the doctor did could have caused the could have caused the the problem it's um it's a uh it's basically caused by a virus in the womb so in in, re, in reaction to the fact that the lawyers will claim this doctors in america now order 50% more cesarean sections that are medically indicated which is bad for the mother and bad for the baby and cost a lot of money because um, you have more surgery and more days in the hospital and all that sort of stuff, just to cover themselves in case the baby's born with cerebral palsy. So that's fair. I mean, there are most certainly two sides to this tort reform issue and the litigation issue. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a love-hate relationship with trial lawyers. Uh, I mostly hate. <laughs> but um, people uh, grouse about the cost of litigation and so forth until they have their own problem. And then, uh, you know, they don't want to go to arbitration, uh, and I, I can certainly see that side of it. Just out of curiosity, arbitration is kind of embedded in this whole tort reform issue. What do you think about arbitration? Well, it's interesting. Uh, well, I think arbitrations are very good for some things and not so good for others, but, but the system of justice ought to make trials economically available to people who want to get their day in court. The problem is... The system of justice has become so dense that nobody can afford to go through the entire process. So that, so that when justice isn't economically available, you might as well not have a system of justice. You know, but one of the problems where the, the tort reformers have the wrong, generally the wrong solution in my view. The right solution isn't just to limit damages, for example. The right solution is to create a system of justice that reliably sorts uh, unreasonable behavior from reasonable behavior. That requires rulings of law that people can, can actually respond to. Today, we have the system where literally anybody can sue for anything. Anytime there's an accident, it's almost never subject to arbitration, for example. But often the accidents are just the ordinary accidents of life. A kid falls off a seesaw or something. And, and the effect of that is the effect of the the ability to sue for anything is that in the case of children's play, we've really done away with all the fun implements of childhood, seesaws, merry-go-rounds, jungle chips, all that stuff has disappeared because people are scared of getting sued. Yeah, it's certainly a complex issue, no question about it. I, I, I don't know what the, what the solution is, but uh, you know, I think it's probably to get these awards within reason somewhere and to limit these these venue issues where uh, everybody sues pharmaceutical companies in these certain jurisdictions because they know the juries will just give them a giant payout and you're just not going to have any pharmaceutical companies or the drugs I mean they're already so expensive and you know a lot of that cost in in there is probably embedded in litigation you know so it's a, it's a definitely a very complex thing uh, well well the the system of justice exists to support a free society so it ought to reliably and economically provide a, a means of accountability when someone is injured by a mistake. But it should never be a lottery, and it should never subject people who didn't do anything wrong to years of litigation and a potential ruinous verdict. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I certainly can see both sides of it. Look, I've been 
you know, I've been a business owner for many, many years and have lots of business affairs and the world is uh, complicated. There's a lot of things that uh, maybe I might offer my clients if I wasn't concerned about liability, you know, and they might benefit clients, but some things I just don't want to do because I don't want to take the risk. There's cer- certainly uh, certainly uh, uh, understanding on both sides. Tell us about your your concept of just so many laws. I mean, you know, I was brought up with the idea that ignorance of the law is no excuse. But there are so many laws. And I had John Stossel <laughs> on the show a while back. He did a great piece on this. Nobody can know all the laws anymore. It's it's impossible. You know, in California, every year there are hundreds of new laws in the in the Socialist Republic of California. Every every year, I mean, how can you possibly keep? How can you possibly know the law anymore? Yeah, it's interesting. In the name of the rule of law, we've created this system with so many laws and regulations. The federal government has over 100 million words of law and regulation, and all the states together. All the, all the states uh, together have more than two billion. Well, no, no one can know that. No one can know a fraction of that. And so we don't have the rule of law. We have the rule of, well, pick your pet, paralysis, gotcha. You know, anyone, anyone can be indicted now for almost anything they do because I guarantee you nobody complies with all the laws. There are studies done where where when a regulatory agency, say a safety agency or environmental agency, tells a company, we're going to inspect you in two months. So the company, with all their lawyers, goes out and tries to make sure everything is in ship-shape condition, right? And the inspectors come, and they inevitably find hundreds of violations. Because even a big company with, with you know scores of lawyers can't, get it right. It's just impossible. We've created this crazy, madcap legal system where people are constantly violating things, frankly, that don't matter very much most of the time, but they're but they're but the regulators get them for it. Yeah, so so there are two two parts to this, if you will. One is the part of, you know, we have to worry about civil liability from, say, clients, customers, you know, in a business. But we also have to worry about liability from the government, which scares me the most, frankly, <laughs> because they have unlimited power and they, they, they make the rules and it's all set in their venue. So that's administrative law where, you know, especially, I mean, just a regular citizen, anybody is out there just breaking breaking laws all the time that they don't even know exist. But if you're in business, you are definitely breaking laws all the time. And this really is a scary issue when it comes to civil rights and, uh, and, and civil liberties, because at any time, the government, if, the, if, if someone's got a vendetta against you for some odd reason, you know, some administrator, some bureaucrat can just haul you in and ruin your yeah. life. You were cooked. And so, you know, the, the irony here is that uh, conservatives join with liberals in this idea that, that, that law should be a kind of a form of micromanagement, that if, if we're going to oversee nursing homes or worker safety, then, then we want to make the laws perfectly clear. That's the idea, perfectly clear to make sure that the government official doesn't have any authority to to you know, act unreasonably or act like a tyrant. The trouble is, is there's so many rules and laws that, that we've given the government official carte blanche to 
to you know to act like a tyrant. It would be far better. It, it becomes a case, I mean, I think you'll make this point, but just one more thing to add to what you're saying. It becomes an issue of selective enforcement because there are so many laws, the government cannot possibly enforce them all, so they don't. So it makes the playing field unlevel in the business world because one, one business gets the law enforced against them and the other businesses don't. And it's, it's selective. I mean, that's not fair. No, it's not fair at all. And, and it doesn't serve the regulatory goals, nor does it serve the conservative goals of trying to limit government authority. It does the opposite. So ironically, uh, it would be far better in most areas of government oversight to have the law be radically simpler. I mean, I'm talking about 1% the number of rules. So it, so, so it reads more like the Constitution with interpretive guidelines, where you're still going to have an argument over whether you know, something's reasonably safe or, you know, or whatever. But at least the argument is over right and wrong now. It's not over, did you comply with 250, you know, section 256, 34B2, you know, or whatever, whatever. And, and, you know, where the, where the argument is, is just over the parsing of words, not right and wrong. So you want, if you're a real person, if you want to understand the law, you need it to be tethered pretty closely to what real people consider to be the, you know, the main purpose of the goals of the law, not all these technicalities. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, you know, when you look back at the, at the founding fathers and you look at the original intent of, you know, our Constitution and, and the Bill of Rights, I mean, was the world just so much simpler back then that you could do basically set up a whole country on uh, on several pages of paper, you know? Or uh, may- maybe, uh, you know, I mean, some might argue that we need, uh, what did you say, a-, a billion words of law or whatever the number was, you know, nowadays, because the world's just so much more complicated. Well, the world is, is somewhat more complicated, and certainly the role of government is bigger because the world has gotten more interdependent. So we entrust the people we love to the care of people we don't know in nursing homes and daycare centers and schools, all kinds of things. So some, so there's a role for government oversight where they didn't used to be one. However, the world isn't that much more complicated. And if you go back and look at the debates over the Constitution, there were some pretty subtle issues that they were discussing, and they concluded with the Constitution, which is barely 10 pages, that it would be much better to have general principles and to let people argue about right and wrong. And they talked about that. That was explicitly part of our founding philosophy, that it would be better for a free society to have everybody focusing on the goals rather than, rather than an instruction manual telling people exactly what unreasonable searches and seizures meant or the necessary and proper clause of the Constitution on the, you know, the role of government. So our founders were not dealing in a simple world. They had their own complications, and, and they dealt with it in a way that, was, that allowed humans to take responsibility. We've tried to create a system of law and government where officials are just mindless mechanics, to this huge legal machine. And the problem is, of course, the huge legal machine doesn't work. It certainly doesn't. Well, is there, I mean, you know, where should the reforms start? Should it start with reforming the profession 
of the practice of law. Some think what we need to do is is change the way lawyers operate or do, you know, Shakespeare, first thing we do is kill all the lawyers, right? You know? um, and you are an attorney, of course. Is, is that where the reform starts or does it start in government? I mean, government is just such a giant, slow-moving, uh, micromanaged, uh, conflicting motivation yeah. monster? Or does it start in government with the actual the laws on the books? Or do we start with the way the profession operates? Um, well, I think, I think if I had to uh, uh, set a kind of a set of goals, the, the, the first goal would be to change the public narrative. Let's, let's don't argue about right versus left. Let's argue about, let's talk about why the schools don't work and why the healthcare system wastes money and, you know, why nursing homes are so awful and stuff. And, and, and ask ourselves the basic question, who has responsibility? And the answer in, in all these questions, who's responsible for the budget deficit? It's nobody. <laughs> we create a world in which literally has the rule of nobody, where nobody's responsible. So... So the next step, I think, is to um, is to take area by area. We're working on one right now, which is infrastructure approvals, where we could hire two million people in a couple of years if we could get this done. Where, where you take something that's now a decade-long process, and you simplify it in the following way: instead of just having people doing studies with nobody really in charge, give an official, probably at EPA the authority to decide when there's been enough review, which is normally about nine years before they, <laughs> it actually gets finished. And, and because there are a lot of projects that basically have no impact. You know, you're just rebuilding a broken bridge or something. And let those projects keep going. Because today, they, they can't. So you, you go area by area, you come up with a proposal that's radically simplified, mainly by giving somebody responsibility to make a decision. Then you have a way of holding them accountable, and you begin to develop a kind of a, a movement, if you will, which is what's needed, where you go area by area to radically simplify government so that it's back to a human scale that humans can understand, humans can deal with, exceptions can be made, and government becomes back in, in our control. Today, government's in control of nobody. One of my show guests, Philip, called this uh, concept in, in this thing between the government, the public employee unions, and then the constituency, or, or the, you know, which may be the vendors uh, selling to the government who are profiting. Right. You know, he, he called them iron triangles. And, right. and you can never break them because everybody's motivation, you know, of course, the government bureaucrats, they want to keep their jobs, they want to keep their pensions, you know, and they want to have their little uh, tyrannical power uh, trips sometimes. And then there, there are vendors making money, selling information systems to all these bureaucrats and selling supplies and, you know, providing services and so forth. And, and then there are constituents that, you know, everybody's just profiting or benefiting in some way everywhere you look. And I mean, I don't know if you can ever break those triangles. It, it Maybe the way it has to happen, sadly, is with a revolution. Well, um, well, first of all, that's right. There is a triangle. So if you think of the, the way I look at modern democracy, it's, it's not people making decisions. It's a giant blob. 
and it's a giant blob of accumulated laws and regulations, mostly written by people who are dead. You know, they wrote them and they just kind of sail along into infinity. Right. So it, it, and, really and I just, just got to comment on that before you go on. I mean, until just last September with the Jobs Act, you'd look at a private placement memorandum for it to invest in a deal. And the Securities Act of 1933, I mean, <laughs> it's the law, the slowest right. thing in the world to adapt. <laughs> no. Right, right, exactly. So, so you have this, this, this blob, and, every, and there are all these people feeding off the blob. There are special interests, there are lawyers, there are bureaucrats. And so it doesn't work. It has all these unintended consequences. There's not one legal, there's not one government program that isn't broken to some significant degree. But the solution isn't to get rid of government. It's not the Tea Party solution, in my view. It's to, it's to have a mechanism in place where you go and, as you would in a business, to fix Okay, why is the why is the Veterans Administration not working? You know, and you go in and fix it. It's not rocket science. You just fix it. But but government doesn't have any capacity for somebody to actually take responsibility and do that. And Congress doesn't even have the idea that it should go back and fix all these old laws. It treats them like they're the Ten Commandments. That is like the Ten Million Commandments. Right, the so, Ten Million Commandments. I love that. So it so it just keeps on on, on going. So what history shows is that change in a society almost never happens with small ball. It's just not how it works. It happens, it happens in big gulps. And pressures build up decade after decade, and all of a sudden you get the 1960s, or you get the 1930s, or you get the progressive era, or you get the Civil War. And that's going to happen here too. So it's got to change. But the question is, how is it going to change? And so what we're trying to do at Common Good and what I'm trying to do with this book, The Rule of Nobody, is actually portray a vision of how a democracy could actually work and make decisions and not be paralyzed. Yeah, tell us about that. I mean, I, you've alluded to it for sure, but you know, maybe just give us the big broad view, if you would. Well, if you take any... Uh, so I just mentioned the infrastructure project. You can take a process where now nobody's in charge, where anybody who wants to complain can complain, and, and it'll go on for an average of almost 10 years for a relatively straightforward project. If you give an official the authority to say when there's been enough review, then it can go forward immediately. I tell the story of the Bayonne Bridge, which was a, uh, a bridge that spans the Kill Van Cole, that, uh, a strait that goes from New York Harbor into Newark Harbor, where all the ships go. And the bridge is 65 feet too low for the new generation of post-Panamax ships. So it needs to get raised. And, they, and, the, and the Port Authority, which owns the bridge, thought they were going to have to tear down the bridge and replace it. It's going to cost $4 billion. And this lifetime government employee came up with the idea that why don't we just raise the roadway within the existing arch? And they did structural theft. Sure enough, they could. It was going to save $3 billion dollars. The same foundations, the same right-of-way, everything, right? It was just like a miracle. And guess what? Four years later, they still didn't have approval. And now it's in litigation. Because, they, because the review they did was only 5,000 pages long. Imagine that for a project with no environmental impact, and people are suing, claiming they didn't do enough of a study. Unbelievable. Well, that's madness. That's, that's madness. just crazy, yeah. 
It's it's so, crazy. So the, or, or, or I'll give you another example. Australia, like like the U.S., had terrible nursing homes, very bureaucratic. They had a thousand rules. Food must be stored not less than 19 centimeters above the floor. There must be 0.09 recreational workers per person. There must be a trash can in each each bathroom. Um, yeah, it's just you know, one thing after another. And those all sound the, good, but those, aren't they, they just yeah, common yeah, no, sense? No, they're all perfectly yeah. dull. But when you have a thousand of them, right. then what happens is people go through the day making sure those things are checked off, right? Instead of actually focusing on the person and saying, what does this resident need today? So Australia got rid of all their rules, and they replaced them with 31 general principles. Have a home-like setting respect the dignity of the residents, stuff like that. Have it clean and, and nice, ex- you know, yeah. Things, yeah, logical oh, yeah. All, things, the ex- right. all, all the experts scoffed. They said, all these nursing home operators are going to get away with murder. Within one year, all the nursing homes were twice as good. And the reason, they just, you know, experts studied it, the reason is because people started to going to work focusing on asking the right, this question, what's the right thing to do? Instead of just being mindless, bureaucratic widgets, you know, complying with these thousand rules. And it's just, and it transformed Australia's nursing homes. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, let, let, let me just run an idea by you. If you, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I just, you're, you're the perfect person to ask this. I have become so disillusioned and disappointed with government that I just don't believe in it like so many Americans don't believe in it anymore. And for seemingly many good reasons, So I'm libertarian on the political spectrum. And, you know, I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, it's sort of whenever I talk with someone about these issues, we all have, you know, a few things that we want. Of course, when we go to a restaurant, we want our food to be safe. We don't want to get sick. We don't want to get hepatitis because the guy didn't wash his hands. We, You know, when we walk into a building, we don't want the roof to fall on our head. So that's the need for building codes and health codes and You know, all of these laws, right? And your common sense approach sounds great conceptually. I I don't know how you do it and how it comes out in practice exactly. But, you know, it seems like a lot of this stuff could just be a simple law that says, look, the building has to be up to code and we're not going to send a government inspector out there to see that it's up to code and the restaurant has to do certain things to make sure the food is healthy Uh, but we're not going to send a government inspector out there to do it we're just going to make a law and i know you're thinking god another law terrible idea but the law is just going to be really simple you have to do all these things and and you have to have insurance that insures all of these things to the public and to get that insurance policy, the insurance company that writes the policy will have to protect their interest and come in and inspect you and make sure you're complying. So you, you sort of delegate this responsibility away from government to private enterprise, which the one thing I definitely do not like privatized is the prisons. I think that has turned into a disaster. Although conceptually, I liked that idea when I first heard of it many years ago, but I, I don't think that one is right. Am I? Do I have a good or bad idea here? I really don't. Know. Oh uh, no, no. I actually think it's an excellent idea. I, I think there are many areas of government oversight where where it's important to put the obligation on the private sector. That actually works with building codes. I mean, they're the professionals, architects and engineers and stuff. 
actually have to certify that um, that buildings and things are up to code, and that is a form of privatization because there are not enough inspectors to go around and look at every you know every building project. I've always thought that in certain areas like um, pollution control and others that, that that you could actually have a new business line for accounting firms or consulting firms where where they would actually go and they would themselves be certified as kind of regulatory experts and they would go in instead of the inspector would come in you know and typically and give out tickets and stuff but they would go to say the pig farmer <laughs> and say look you know you're probably out of line with best practices here you're allowing runoff from your pig farm to go in the creek da, da, da. here are the ways you need to fix it and if you fix it we can give you the certification that you need to give to the government and so you so you have a much more of a cooperative type attitude rather than you know a harried overworked government inspector who just sees something bad and you know and slaps a injunctive order or or or, or, or or on the other end of that spectrum he's he sees something bad and it takes a payoff and a bribe <laughs> you know? well that too yeah. absolutely and so and so you could and and government has become so intrusive in certain areas of regulation that it actually makes a lot of sense i think to 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 privatize um, oversight because the government just can't get to it. I mean, government can't doesn't have nearly enough worker safety inspectors to look at you know all the workplaces in America. So people can do whatever they want. So uh, you know, I think that's a very good idea. I think there, I think the whole system needs to get rebuilt. And again, there's not one program that is effective. Maybe the FAA is effective. So you know, I'm sure you can find exceptions, but basically. By and large, government is, is almost universally ineffective and wasteful, and often and often counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was I was uh, listening to a Peter Drucker speech. Uh, you know, the great management expert, the sure. late great management expert, and and he was saying just over the weekend when I was listening to it that government has been uh, the last time government was effective was in the fifties. It since then it just nothing has worked. Basically, nothing. Well, Peter, yeah, Peter no. Drucker is a is is an important source for me in the rule of nobody in my new book. Oh, really? So I okay. quote him a lot. Yeah, he's incredibly wise, and one of the points he makes is is that nothing happens unless a human makes it happen. Following a rule in the whole history of the universe never made anything good happen. You know, rules are there as a framework to prevent bad things from happening, but they don't accomplish anything. Only people accomplish something. And so if you want government to work, you've got to give everyone the freedom to try to make it work. You don't just go around with your noses and rule books. Yeah, no question about it. No question about it. Well, give out your websites. I mean, you've got one for yourself, I think, as an author, and then also one for uh, your organization. Well, one of the, you know, we're, we're hoping to start a movement here. And so we're working with some of our, we have a great board, people like Al Simpson and Bill Bradley and people like that. And so we're looking for stories, stories from citizens of frustration with idiotic bureaucracy and such. So they can send the stories to stories at commongood.org. And they can learn more about common good at commongood.org. And 
and you know, for the rule of no, and they can get to me through my my name's philipkhoward.com. I can, you know, you can, but but the book is getting a lot of good reception, many good reviews, and uh, I think people people seem to be responding to the rule of nobody and and coming up with ideas about how to fix it, as you have too. So, thank you, and I hope you'll be creative and come up with some more ideas and let us know what they are, so we can. Enlist you in the cause, Philip. If you have, uh, if you're collecting stories of idiotic government, I hope you have a lot of space on your server. <laughs> because yeah, exactly, there are a lot of people with a lot of stories out there. So uh, keep up the good work. It was great having you on the show and talking about some of this stuff. That's Philip K. Howard philipkhoward.com or commongood.org and the book of course is available on Amazon and all the usual places very very interesting any closing thought Philip just real quick no no thanks very much all right thanks for being on the show thanks Jason thank you for joining us today for the holistic survival show protecting the people places and profits you care about in uncertain times be sure to listen to our creating wealth show which focuses on exploiting the financial and wealth creation opportunities in today's economy. Learn more at www.jasonhartman.com or search Jason Hartman on iTunes. This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company, offering very general guidelines and information. Opinions of guests are their own and none of the content should be considered individual advice. If you require personalized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. Information deemed reliable, but not guaranteed.